Who's wrong and who's wronger? In this corner, followed by Millions James, the exploding unicorn, Breakwell. And in that corner, ignored by Millions, Steve Dosh, Rinko Levers. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Wrong and Wronger, the show where the sun is not awake and neither is Breakwell. But I'm here to entertain or... So it seems Jennifer8533 has a little something to say about that. But before we get there, we have a calamity. We have a great find. We have some feedback. That's Disson Dr. Steve. And we have the exploding unicorn. James, how are you doing this morning? I am spectacular. My life is full of merriment and mirth, and I have not a complaint in the world. Well, uh, that's unfortunate. Because I'll just I'll leap right into viewer mail here, James. Oh, God. Uh, just just one today, because when you have not a complaint in the world, apparently our listeners and our viewers they tune into another show, and uh, I think Jennifer eight five three three speaks for many many of our viewers and listeners that uh, aren't going to see nor hear this because they've moved on. Uh, Dear Steve DeShrink Olivas, please let James talk more. (laughs) (laughs) He is very funny once he gets on a roll. Please give us a few ranch-free episodes and let James talk about, like, his editing process. Signed, Jennifer8533. James, I throw my hands up. I worked my fingers to the bone to make this a good show, and all the feedback says is we need more Breakwell. Well, I mean, that's really all the world needs, but uh, <laughs> really, you've just, you've, you've created a monster. You have, you have done the worst possible thing. I have survived on the internet for many, many years by accepting Jesus. no feedback of any kind, good or bad. I am an isolated box, immune to all outside influences. The internet is a one-way conversation. I talk at it. I throw information out there, and then I close my eyes and stick my head in the sand. That's just how I live my life. And here you are encouraging people to tell us what they think. Do you know what people think, Steve? It's devastating. You never want to know what people think. It's it's never a good outcome. I was going to say, the the one bit of feedback I saw, because you've actually got Twitter conversations going, or maybe they've always been there and and the algorithm just decided (laughs) to show them to me. But somebody asked me, are you going to, or they asked each other, or maybe you, they said, are you guys going to be recording today? I was like, oh, wow, we're building some hype. And then the response to that was something about how Breakwell sounded whiny last week. And I was like, oh, that's right. That's why I don't read these things. I do. I lack the emotional maturity to deal with feedback. Oh. However, in this particular case, this listener was 100% right about me and needing to talk more, or possibly all the time, just as a solo podcast. Um, as for the ranch, I mean, if we didn't, if we didn't have the ranch, I don't think we'd have a podcast anymore. We'd have to have actual content, and uh, I don't think we're up for that challenge. Well, uh, I'll say this. I was kind of aware of that. When we first started this, we had a very balanced attack because we had an argument. So you would argue, I would argue, you would argue. Uh, I would say things that made sense. You would uh, choose the, 
the tactic of just attacking me rather than actually <laughs> making good points. And uh, But then we started shifting into storytelling, and you kind of dominated the first half, and then I kind of dominated the second. And I thought, we do need to kind of bring it back toward middle. So Jennifer8533, while uh, possibly one of my least favorite viewers <laughs> and listeners, probably has a point. Well, I, I guess... We only have things to talk about when they go wrong, and your life is just a lot worse than mine. I mean, we objectively, by every measurement, you've just you've made some bad choices. You're surrounded by hostile wildlife. Your your very existence is crumbling to dust. And I'm here. I've got a front row seat. It is my job as a responsible, not journalist, to bring these stories out so that they are preserved on the internet forever, where no one will ever look at them. You know, the uh, there's a group from my office coming to see me in the play a week from Saturday. And uh, they were I was telling them how big my fire pit is that Mrs. Steve built and how we're going to have a bon we can have a bonfire and we can conjure evil spirits and they were talking about bringing Ouija boards and uh, like having like battling spirits like whose spirit is more ripped than the other spirit and I thought I've got an evil spirit that will probably kick the ass of any of your evil spirits because it's been kicking mine. But making the show content-filled, at least for the last two years. So I know what you're saying, James. I don't want to hear you bragging about evil spirits because if I recall, you found what was either a mysterious grave on a hilltop or an yeah. odd rock dump site, and you refused <laughs> to dig it up. I, I just, I, I don't know why. You have nothing to live for. It's not like you have a soul anymore. There was clearly nothing at risk. You could have dug up this mystery grave, not grave, and we would have had one amazing final podcast episode and would have gone down <laughs> in flames of greatness in internet lore. And instead, here we are listening to YouTube feedback about how I need to talk more, which is absolutely true. But also, I feel it's important that we appreciate uh, the calamity that is your life. The calamity that is my life. You know, so many viewers and listeners, they, uh, they long for the olden days where we would flip the Guam quarter of fate and argue. But what they enjoyed the most were those videos, the, the punishment videos <laughs> that we would do. And uh, about a year ago, I'm starting to get these Facebook memories now pop up. A year ago, I posted all that I had of mine. And uh, I... It would probably behoove you to post yours just uh, for posterity so that your viewers or your fans or your fan, so that Judy can enjoy them one more time, James. Are they are they not still posted? Are they not in our a massive back catalog where no one will ever see or look at them? <laughs> well, that's the problem. They're on YouTube. Like, uh, unless people physically go to YouTube to watch this show and follow or subscribe to our channel, they don't have access that's why I posted mine on Twitter and Facebook, because I thought, well, at least I can show people some of the hijinks and shenanigans that you and I used to do when we were young and still reasonably fun. Uh, I'm okay. First of all, that's a lie. We have never been young or fun. But second of all, <laughs> I don't know who you think is going to see these things if we post them on Twitter. Uh, I have like, okay, so... <clears throat> Once upon a time, I had a hundred and or um, a million sixty thousand, uh, uh, whatever they're called, readers, listeners, people, yeah. followers. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. And uh, now I'm down to nine hundred fifty-eight thousand. But here's the thing: 
Of those 958,000, approximately four are active users, and the rest are either deactivated accounts or bots. Like, if I post this video, it will be seen by 0.00 people. So I'm just not going to bother. Instead, maybe what I should do is just describe it here in vivid detail so that people might have it live on forever in their imagination and or their nightmares. <laughs> well, I... On this topic, and I, I don't want you to describe anything that you've done, because when I close <laughs> my eyes, I need to see fun and interesting things, not Breakwell doing uh, little dances. Although I will say, you, your magnum opus was actually quite well done and uh, should live on forever on the Internet. It was your... Um, I think it was your Breakfast Club montage, if you remember that one. You know, I put a lot of effort into something that was seen by approximately 20 people. <laughs> I got the whole family. <laughs> we had costumes. We did that thing shot for shot, which is not I easy know. with small children or large adults who can't dance, man. We went all out. But you know what? That does live on because a clip of that is in our intro that nobody watches. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah. That's right. So it's got that going for it. No, that was, I, I remember being extremely impressed by that because you did like real editing and you, this oh, was maybe it, six years ago, like your kids were little. So for were. you to wrangle I mean, them, that was impressive. Yeah, the youngest barely existed. I spent hours editing that, hours. Yeah. I just, I mean, that was before I reached the, well, you know what, we're, 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 we're going we're gonna to skip that track because I feel like you're taking us down a different one. I will, I will, I will direct us to the pit of despair and melancholy <laughs> later if we run out of other things to talk about. But for right now, I would like to, to go back to the other pivot point you threw out there that I just blatantly ignored. The Guam Quarter of Fate, Steve, you talked about how it used to determine what we would, we would, we would discuss in the old format, the old days. And uh, I believe you have made a discovery. I feel like Indiana Jones, James, for one, because I'm tall and ruggedly handsome. And then uh, for two, so as I'm cleaning out my office here, and uh, we are T-minus, we're recording this on the 17th, so I am T-minus 14 days away from having to get out of here. But I cleaned out my top desk drawer. And I imagine if you have a desk, James, you have a drawer that has stuff that goes all the way back to the Paleolithic age in it when you started tossing random crap in there. But I found the original Guam Quarter of Fate that uh, you and I used to use. I would flip, and then that would determine which side each of us argued on the original incantation. Oh, sorry, incarnation. <laughs> Probably incantation, too. We, we conjured evil spirits out here. But uh, that you and I would use uh, for the original incarnation of Wrong and Wronger. So this was before Kenneth Fisher sent me a roll. He probably spent 50 bucks on the damn thing. A roll of Guam quarters. And when I lost this one, I started using his. And uh, now I have found this one. And uh, it was a magical find. And I knew you would be so impressed and possibly moved to a single tear rolling down your cheek. I'm mostly filled with disappointment and rage. I feel like I feel like a parent again right here. So you made such a huge deal about how the, the Guam quarter of fate had vanished. It was no more, could not be located, yeah. had disappeared from the earth itself. And it was in your drawer, the drawer right yeah. in front of you where you sit while you record these episodes. It never <laughs> occurred to you that maybe the thing I did with this quarter that I only use when recording these episodes in this chair was to sit them in the drawer directly in front of where you sit. That, that never crossed your mind. 
It didn't cross my mind. And it, in fairness to me, it was way in the back of the drawer. <laughs> and there were like several strata of sedimentary junk between it and the front of the drawer that date all the way back to like when Jesus was still playing Little League. So I can't hardly blame myself for not finding it. But now I have, James. I was lost and now I am found. Can we really verify it's the original one, though? Didn't some at some point somebody send you an entire roll of Guam quarters? It could easily be a replacement that you tossed in there. No, no, no. And uh, thank you for listening to everything I say, because I just told that story while you were dozing over there. But no, the uh, ones that Ken Fisher sent, they were shiny and like mint condition. They were literally from the U.S. Mint. They got packaged up and sent to me. This one I always knew was different because it's sort of worn down. Like this one is dingy and it had been in circulation for a while. So this is definitely the original. I will not believe you, but that's okay. You believe you and that's the important part of any story. I just, you know, it's there, but like what, what purpose does it serve now? Are you going to use it in a vending machine? Like what are you going to do with this quarter now that it no longer determines our fate or anything else in the world? Wow, what a great question. I am moving offices, and there is a chance I could frame this. I may send it to you, but uh, you're, you're already so in debt to me anyway. Why not just add a quarter to that invoice? And uh, I don't know. I don't know. We, we may take listener suggestions and viewer suggestions, because now I lurk on YouTube to see what people like Linda8533 has to say about me. And I'm guessing she just got you and me backwards. She wants me to talk more. I'm I'm amazed that she wanted me to talk about editing and writing, which is the the bane of my existence, the source of a hundred percent of my problems. Maybe maybe that like maybe writing is her version of a ranch. Like she understands the suffering involved, and that's why she wants me to bring it up. <laughs> I just I mean imagine like a boring solo activity. Like somebody's just like, describing how they play solitaire, and just I, I, I can't I can't imagine it makes riveting content. Yeah. And I guess I, you know, I, once upon a time before I got published, I did used to listen to like the stuff about like writers and their process thinking, man, that could be me. And then as soon as it was me, I just lost all interest in the process. It's like, this is just work. <laughs> and I don't want to listen to somebody else talking about the work that I currently right now at this very second and putting off myself. Man, I remember when you and I were just starting to talk about doing this podcast you hadn't, I don't think you'd even published Dead on the Inside yet. I don't think you had, or you were just getting ready to launch it or something. When did that, did that come out in 16 or in 17? It came out, I wrote it in 16, it came out in 17. Okay, because I remember you saying, boy, if, uh, if this is a bestseller, like you were making plans. Like, I don't know if you were thinking about what size yacht you were going to buy, <laughs> or I, I think you were just thinking more, man, I'm, I'm going to do this for a living. Like, this is going to be great. And then uh, you found out exactly what the publishing world had in store for you. And uh, here we are, 2023, still going strong. You know, every time you write a book, it's like a lottery ticket. Anything could happen. And, and to be fair, I did. I may, I actually, like, I, I turned, I had some good years with those early books, mainly because yeah, they yeah. would sell foreign rights. You know, that first one got translated into a whole bunch of languages. And every time that you, you do that, it's like you make your original money back again. They just pay you and they translate it and they put it in a language you don't speak and you can't even be sure it's your book. It's a different cover. It's just gibberish inside. They say, here, take some money. And I'm like, okay, sure, why not? I mean, there's a there's a version of Only Dead on the Inside in Korean. 
It's spectacular. I have no idea what. I mean, it could, it could be. I mean, it could be the Communist Manifesto in there for all I know. But they, I know they paid me, and that's that's really all that matters there. But uh, there's there's a dark side to this too. You keep writing. <laughs> Eventually, people stop taking a shot on you because you know, like I thought, well, I could be a bestseller because I had no information to the contrary. It's kind of like a little kid the first time they try something. Yeah. Like they don't yeah. know they're not the best in the world because they have no failure. Like, well. I could go out here and hit a home run every time, and then they go and they swing the ball at the bat on that tee, and it you know, goes forward six inches, and they get a harsh wake-up call. That, that was me, but the thing <laughs> is, the publishing industry was having a harsh wake-up call at all as well. Because I didn't have a track record of failure yet, like people were willing to pay me money. I had potential. I had upside. My publisher took chances on me. Foreign publishers took chances on me. And then the harsh reality turned in, came in that there's like six authors in the world who sell books, and everybody else is kind of like me. And so yeah. I, I, I sold enough to break even, but I wasn't making any bestseller lists. And, uh, and then and those advances they just kind of kept going down but you know what <laughs> i just kept writing and i wrote enough that nobody really lost money on me nobody nobody hit home runs i was just kind of there i was a mid-list list author <laughs> and eventually i can usually i can just find somebody somebody every time I'm like all right i guess i'll give you a shot and uh hey i even pivoted out of my 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 pigeonhole that i made for myself i dug myself this deep deep pit where i said the only thing anyone ever will ever read about me is kid books or books about kids and i wrote book after book after book just like that and then i thought a book i said hey what if i wrote a book about me the person who raises these kids and that one did all right and then i said what if i write a book about kids who don't exist in space far away And that book exists now, and now there's a sequel to it that may or may not someday get written if I ever get off this podcast and get back to really embracing my inner panic and writing. No. Oh. Wow. Yeah, you've had – and I've been with you every step of the way through your (laughs) publishing journey, James, and some of it has been funny. Some of it has been sad. Some has been frustrating. And it continues. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. And I just want people to appreciate the work you do and uh, and just how much it takes out of your life, both in terms of battery power and in terms of your everlasting soul, because it takes both. All right, all right. We're going back to the pit of despair. You you pivoted in the direction that's going to take us right there. So I'm just I'm just going to go right. into this. This is so I, you yeah. probably you probably can't see it behind me. I think I think it's going to get cropped out. There's a box, but the box isn't related. But behind the box, there's there's 58 board games over there uh, because. <laughs> Okay, so so I, I've been buying games because they, they fill my life with joy. They're little bits of cardboard that trick your friends to coming over and spending time with you. And I enjoy that. I like being social. I'm a social guy. I need something to, to fill the void in my soul and push off the you know my fear of dying alone. So I, I go and I get these board games, and over time you acquire them. I go and get them used, and I, I've amassed quite a collection. And finally, there's not enough room in the house, and I find some more on sale, and you find better versions of old stuff. You figure out what you like, you figure out what your wife hates, and you adjust accordingly. So anyway, uh-huh. I'm, I've got this pile of games that I don't have space for and that I've never played. And it finally occurred to me one day that if I play board games one night a week and we repeat yeah. games and there's cancellations, like there are not enough days in my life to play all of these games. Like I, I have run out of runway. I can't do this anymore. I can't keep buying games. And so I'm, I'm trying to sell this, this pile of games. that's as tall as a house at fire sale prices. And then, you know, my friends came over for board game night and they, they see this pile of games. Well, why are you selling this? Why are you selling that? It's like, 
are we going to play it? Are you going to learn the rules? Are you going to come over here extra <laughs> nights and do this? Are you going to create more hours in the day so that we can bring this to the table? And one of the friends who was, you know, imploring me to save this and that, but then realized, well, she had, she did the same thing with books. She follows a book influencer. That's apparently a thing in the year of our Lord, 2023. And uh, <laughs> it was somebody who they, they did the math and they read a book a week, a book a week, Steve. And uh, I'm probably going to get the math on this wrong, but they figured out how old they were and how fast they read. And they realized they had time in their life left to read 894 books and wow. uh, they had 16,000 on their shelves <laughs> and they realized, oh my oh, god no. like we don't have time to play all the games we don't have time to read all the books we don't have time to play all the video games there's all these games I want to play through with each of my kids those hours just don't exist and there's really not time <laughs> to write all the books you know I've still you know I'm, I'm what six or eight books into this process here and I've still got this day job it's just hours on top of hours I've got Substack and all that <laughs> And at some point you look at it and you think, what? I have a limited number of hours each day. I have a limited number of hours in my life. What can I still accomplish? And then I look back at those penalty videos, which brought joy to single digits of people. And I think about the hours I put into it. And yes, it's cool that I created it. But I look at it and say, can I really, at this point in my life, justify spending six hours on something cool that will be seen by 12 people and generate $0 in income? And and sadly, the answer is no. So that is oh. my that is my pitch for Melancholy Island. Welcome. Please put down your bags and enjoy your stay. Well, the population of that island is too, because I'm right there with you, Brinkwell. Although I don't know if you and I being stuck on a desert island together is good for either of our long-term health, but what are you going to do? This is true, but you see, I've I've learned a lesson. Like as as I go, I've been I've been paring down my extraneous responsibilities. <laughs> I've been hacking and slashing and pushing away. And here you are promoting a yeah. play. You wake up at two a.m. You go to bed at I don't know eight eight p.m. You sleep like six hours a night. You just you're falling apart at the seams. The ranch is trying to kill you. You do a podcast that pays zero dollars. You got fifteen side jobs that also pay zero dollars. And here you are <laughs> doing a play for free and also promoting that play for free on social media. Yeah, and I have the lead, so I have a lot to memorize. So that took a chunk of my life too. I don't know, Rick. Well, I always think if I ever retire, I'm probably just going to end up adding two or three more side jobs. So there's no point because I and you're you 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 uh, you're you're way too humble about this. You're a busy guy too. And by the way, I didn't get up at two. I got up at two fifteen this morning because oh. I'm trying to rehab my legs. So I walk on the treadmill for an hour now. <laughs> uh oh. But <laughs> yeah. So all of that's going on, and yet here we are at the crack of dawn recording this for Judy P. and someone named Jennifer8533 who needs to find better things to complain about on the internet. You know what, for as much as we talk about not making money on this podcast, you found the Guam quarter of fate. You turned a 25 cent profit today. And yes, it was money that you'd previously lost, but it's money that you regained, okay? You made 25 more cents today than <laughs> I did. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something to be proud of. So I hope you, I hope you relic, actually though, if you do go yeah. and get the Guam quarter of fate frame, the frame is going to cost at least $3 at Walmart. So <laughs> that's a loss after all. In fact, that's an exponential loss. So, uh, uh, maybe we should stop celebrating these tiny wins because they're really gigantic defeats in disguise. Well, James, I am suddenly in possession of about a hundred frames 
because as you can see behind me, all of the pictures have been taken down. And yesterday I went around and pulled a hundred nails out of the wall. <laughs> and so I no longer have signed celebrity photographs, but I do have the frames that they came in. And one of them might be the future home of the Guam Quarter of Fate. Wait, 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 wait. These things that you valued so much that you framed them, did you just throw them away? No, they're in a box, and I have no idea what will become of them. It's sort of like the Breakwell poster. That's still in the bathroom, by the way. Nothing is on my walls anywhere in this place except your poster. Well, th that is good. It, it should be the final thing there as you turn out the lights. My eyes gazing in the darkness, thinking of what once was and what could yet be. You should just take those pictures and hang them up in your, uh, you should hang them up in your side cabin. Uh, like the ultimate flex of your status, showing you meeting a bunch of people that no one has ever, you know, heard of. And the, the, the garage, as I said last week, should remain my shrine. That should be the one and only image in that massive structure. But the smaller cabin, you can fill that with your smaller pictures to brag about your small accomplishments so that people can really think about uh, what that says about you. I've been thinking, well, I'm not anymore because I don't know if I'll ever have time to write another book, but I was going to buy like a, like one of those uh, little sheds and turn it into like a writing studio, set it out next to the cabin. But uh, now that's, uh, uh, I don't think that'll ever happen. One, I don't know if I'm ever going to be in a financial position to buy anything ever again. <laughs> but two, uh, I don't know if I'll even need a writing shed because I don't have time to do anything at this point other than this podcast. You have a writing shed. It is your hornet shed outhouse thing. Just lock yourself in there. Let the bee stings motivate you. Let the words flow. You could probably write the world's greatest horror novel sitting in there. And I, I for one, am rooting for you. Well, we're, ooh, let's end on that fine note. Breakwell is rooting for Dr. Steve. Write that hornets. down, everybody. That is a historical moment here on Wrong and Wronger. In what can only be hoped to be our final episode, but it never seems to be. Until next time, when we come back again, try to figure out why we're here next time coming back again. This is Steve, up 25 cents, so leave us. For James, still owes Steve hundreds of dollars for this podcast. Breakwell saying thanks for listening, thanks for watching, and remember, as always, two wrongs can make a right.